as I recall it, the morning of April 19th, 1995, was an absolute beautiful morning where I was in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah, Georgia is a very beautiful place, especially if you love the Old South. It's full of that sort of quality where Forrest Gump sat on his bench. It is a seaside town. There's a lot of good seafood there. My presence there that morning was utterly unnecessary. At the time, I was a Corps officer, C-O-R-P-S officer, with the Salvation Army. I was an ordained minister. And if you're at all familiar with the Salvation Army, you know that one of the things that the Salvation Army does extensively is what's known as disaster services, or emergency services, where we provide canteens with supplies and food and water and showers and that sort of thing, where there have been disasters. And there had been a small, and let me emphasize small, chemical fire a few days before in Savannah, Georgia. And our EDS people had, in my opinion, kind of overreacted, sent a couple of us down there with a canteen, completely unnecessarily. And we just sort of hung out. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to do. We couldn't get, because it was a chemical fire, we couldn't get any closer than like five miles to the fire. So we really weren't doing anything. Um, When that morning rolled around, I had decided that I was going home because we could do that. It wasn't necessary. And I had other things I wanted to be doing and needed to be doing back in Atlanta where I was stationed. And so as I was packing up to leave, we were kind of having some discussions about things. And the word came that there had been a terrorist attack in Oklahoma City. Now, again, Oklahoma City is my native home. It's, it's my ancestral home. I have a connection to Oklahoma City that in, in so many ways it defies comprehension to me. It, it, it's not a place I, I really like. I was trying to explain this to Cammie uh, when we were there a couple weeks ago. Every time I come here, it just feels old to me, which is weird because I'm a history guy, but Oklahoma City just feels old to me. And maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But it is, there is a deep connection to it for me. So when I got the news and it became quickly apparent, they had turned on the news, that this was something major. And of course, when they identified the spot, I immediately knew where it was. I knew exactly where it was. And I got on the phone and tried to call my grandfather who lives or lived at that time, about a mile, maybe, maybe two, from the blast site. Wanted to make sure he was okay. Wanted to make sure that everything was intact. And the phone lines were, of course, completely dead. You couldn't get through to anybody. Called my parents. They were in Colorado at the time, and they had seen it. Of course, they were concerned. They were watching it. They weren't able to get a hold of Grandpa either or anybody else in the family. Um, but they didn't have any further information. This explosion at the Murrah building in Oklahoma City occurred about, I'd say, maybe six, eight blocks from the Salvation Army's headquarters in Oklahoma City. Uh, Some months later, I was talking to one of the officers who was there, and he was kind of uh, 
I don't know, showing off a little bit. You know, we were the first ones on the site. Well, you should have been the first ones on site. You were right there. Anyway, point being that it was, it was obvious it was going to be a big deal and the Salvation Army was going to be deeply involved with it. And as a trained member of emergency disaster services and available at the time, I assumed that I would be sent to Oklahoma City. That never happened. Uh, the Salvation Army leadership decided that I should not go and I was not permitted to go. I objected strenuously to that at the time. I, I remember being very angry about it. But in retrospect, it was probably the right decision. My connection to the city, Oklahoma City, is very deep. Again, I like to tell people it's not my favorite place in the world, but there is something there for me. There is something that connects me to that place that I can't get away from. And even two weeks ago, when I was there, I had gone to a baseball game, the Oklahoma City Dodgers playing at Bricktown, which is a new stadium. They didn't have that the last time I was there. And I'd seen my friend Zach and, and watched the game. And as I was leaving, I went out of my way to drive past the old homestead where, where my grandfather had lived. And about a mile from downtown, there is a place around the corner from his house where you can just see all of downtown beautifully. And I, I remember parking there and just sitting there for a few minutes, thinking about my own connection to this place and how it never really will go away. Maybe it was the right thing not to send me because of that emotional connection that I have to Oklahoma City, my family, friends, my history. But it's something that for many, many years, I was uh, very bitter and very angry about. In 2000, in March of 2000, my grandfather passed, and I went to Oklahoma City to the funeral, obviously, and I took time to go down to the site. Now, this was actually about a month and a half before the dedication of the memorial, so I didn't get to see the memorial that time, and I hadn't been back since until this week, this past month, past two weeks ago, I guess, when I had the opportunity to go to the Oklahoma City Memorial for the first time, actually set foot inside the memorial, not look at it through a construction fence and the likes of that. As I expected, it was deeply emotional for me. It was very hard to stand there at that site, knowing that I had been there before, knowing what this place represents to me, what business I had in my previous years conducted there. It was hard. I also had with me Cammie and Ben. Cammie had never been to Oklahoma City, and obviously Ben had never been. And we had to park across the street, which was kind of weird. I, I was amazed at how close we were able to park to it, literally cross the street and be right there. And it was, it was a little frustrating because Ben was being, it was early morning. Ben was being a, a, a typical preteen. He wasn't sure what we were doing. He wasn't sure what he was looking at. And it was hard to explain to him what had happened here with my own emotions playing with this. I was very sad. I, I, I didn't know a single person who passed in the bombing. 
but I know that they were Oklahomans. And because of what we call the Oklahoma standard, which is uh, much like, you know, Boston Strong and all these uh, other places in, in Oklahoma, we call that Oklahoma standard. Because of that, it was, I don't know, it was, you know, I have a lot of pride in this. There was a bit of anger on my part. I, I, will, I will say right now, one of the things that frustrated me about the Oklahoma City Memorial Museum is that you have to pay to get into the museum and it's not cheap. It's not horribly expensive. I mean, it's not Disneyland, but I, 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 I just found that to be Nicole Turney, uncultured. If we really want people to understand what happened here, if we really want people to know this story, why isn't this a national monument? Why isn't this a national park, a national memorial? Why are we charging people to get in to see the museum? That's my own opinion. I mean, I get the gift shop and all that. But if you really want people to understand what happened here, why are you pushing them to the web, Wikipedia, to find out? Why aren't you letting them into the museum to know? That's my own opinion. As I walked around the the memorial, the outside of the memorial, which you can see all of, Ben finally started to grasp, I guess, that this was a significant place. And he wanted to know why. Why would someone do what they did? And it made me kind of stop for a minute because how do you even explain this to him? How do I explain? We've talked before. How do I explain 9-11 to him? What, how do you... How do you explain this to an 11-year-old who has no connection to this? Do you treat it like 9-11 and say, well, there's some people with some bad people in the world and that? But he could see that this was affecting me. He could see that this place was different. He could see that. How do you explain this to an 11-year-old? What happened here? A week or so ago, my good friend Mike the Mill Serp writer from the Mill Serp blog, Mill Serp writer blog, had a post about something he calls, he, he uses a phrase which I love, and I even told him, I'm stealing your phrase, called intellectual kudzu. Now, his post is about communism and the bad ideas that are communism and how they take hold, and they're like kudzu. Now, kudzu is a weed that is ubiquitous in the South. If you've ever been to the South, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, kudzu is a weed that was native to Japan that was brought to the United States in 1896. And then in the 1930s, the local governments in the South started planting it on purpose to control erosion. But the problem with it is, of course, that it's it's basically a carnivorous weed. It's basically a an invasive species, and it just takes over everything. And there are places where you can drive in the south along I-85 through South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and you will look over to the side, and you know that there are trees there, bushes and stuff like that. You can't see any of it. It's all covered with this green kudzu. And it looks, I don't know, it looks like a carpet that's been thrown over everything. And, of course, the problem with the kudzu is that it, because it takes over everything, it kills everything that's underneath there eventually and takes over the whole, the whole ecosystem, destroys it. There are scientists who say that because of global warming, it's going to get worse. 
it's a very difficult weed to fight. You have to fight it early. You have to, you have to stay on it. There's really no way to get rid of it once it's there. You just have to control it. That's all you can do. And Mike had begun to compare communism, socialism, bad ideas as, as intellectual kudzu. This idea that you have to, you have to keep these bad ideas from taking hold because if you don't, well, you know, they're going to spread and grow. And as I was sitting here over the past week thinking about my experience in Oklahoma City, I realized that it's not just communism that's an intellectual kudzu. There are other ideas that are equally intellectual kudzu. There are ideas like the ideas that Timothy McVeigh carried that weren't controlled. They weren't recognized for what they were and they were allowed to overgrow and to essentially lead to what would happen at Oklahoma City. McVeigh was a racist. He was a known racist. The, the, the part that amazes me is while he was in the army, and okay, so he served in Afghanistan and Iraq, so he got a medal or two. It was well known and well reported that while he was in the military, he exhibited severe racist tendencies. He, as a sergeant, he would assign what we would call crap duties. We wouldn't say crap, but you get the idea, to racial minority soldiers, bust their chops. He was, somebody should have realized this. Somebody should have recognized it along the way. When other things happened under the Clinton administration after McVeigh got out of the army, Ruby Ridge, Waco, he had gone to Waco. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Timothy McVeigh went to Waco. And these ideas began to take hold and they began to spread. These ideas that somehow or another, race was going to be an issue along with this idea that destruction was the only way to keep the United States government from destroying him. Ultimately, that didn't work out very well, did it? No one in his entire history ever bothered to tell him no. They would look at him and say, well, that's a dumb idea, or you shouldn't think that way, or argue with him, or debate with him, or stop him from any of these things that he would do, these, these things that he would read, the Turner Diaries, these anti-Semitic, anti-racist, or anti-Semitic and racist websites and things that he would go to. It was a little, it's a little unnerving now to look at how badly we failed to recognize someone who was so obviously a, a problem, a, a, an intellectual kudzu weed. When you look at Oklahoma City and what happened there, when you, and I don't want to revisit all the details, quite frankly, it's painful it's, it's a little hard for me sometimes. And I know it shouldn't be, but it is. But when you think about how you went from this guy who was serving his country to this guy who was attacking this country and willing to murder children 
as collateral damage, as, as acceptable collateral damage. It doesn't take a great deal of philosophical consideration to understand that his ideas, just like communism, were intellectual kudzu that overgrew and took over and were not prevented from spreading. I'm not making excuses for the United States government's actions at Ruby Ridge or Waco. I have my opinions about those, and I would think that my opinions about those two things probably are more in line with McVeigh's than they are with, with the government's. The difference is, I understand that we don't change things by violence. We don't change things by blowing up buildings full of children and office workers because we think somehow or another that's going to do anything other than kill people and maim people and deprive children of their parents, parents of their children, husbands of their wives, wives of their husbands. And in the end, not really lead to anything. Timothy McVeigh was not a very smart man. I mean, that, that much is obvious. He, I, I, I think it's ludicrous how easily he was caught and how ridiculously inept he was at it. I'm thankful that he was, but the very fact that he was is indicative of the fact that he was a weed. He was intellectual kudzu. He was spreading his ideas, but they were shallow ideas that could have been very easily trimmed and very easily controlled if anybody had bothered to do it. It's, it's imperative, I think, that we begin to understand that you can't destroy kudzu. You, you're never going to. But you can control it. And when we see these intellectual kudzu ideas, communism, racism, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, uh, and others as well, we can take the approach that people took with Timothy McVeigh and just ignore them. So I'll use a kook. Or we can take it upon ourselves to say, mm, somebody needs to say something to him. Somebody needs to say something to those he's preaching to. Somebody needs to counter these arguments, whether they are critical race theory or pure socialism. But if all we're going to do is shake our heads and go, oh, that guy's nuts, and walk away, we shouldn't be surprised when buildings start coming down. I hope to get back there. I know that someday I will go back to Oklahoma City because obviously my parents live there now, and someday I will go back. But I can assure you that when I do, I will once again walk down Hudson Street there, what used to be Hudson Street, and I will spend time at that memorial again. And I will remind myself that every day my job is to trim the intellectual kudzu that might be creeping into my world and my life and even my son. Because if I don't do it, it will take over everything.